0: Well, welcome to The Bike Show, with me, Jack Thurston, and across the desk from me, Jen Kerrison. Hello Jen. there,
1: Jack. Hi, listeners.
0: Well, I'm fresh from yesterday's Friends of the Bike Show ride to St Albans and back. Thanks to everyone who came along, we were more than 20 souls from across the bicycling spectrum. A couple of Cat 2 racers and a few people on... Um, Dutch bikes as well. We made it out um, to St Albans together and then a big sprint down the Great North Road. And it really was an autumn almanac out there. Some lovely colours in the trees and a real wintry chill in the air. Fortunately, it stayed completely dry. There's something really nice about cycling in the winter when you're staying nice and warm and Uh, wrapped up isn't it jen
1: yeah it's lovely it looked like it was a beautiful day for you guys yesterday i was very jealous
0: and thanks very much to patrick field for leading the ride the route that we took from stoke newington to st albans is one of the routes featured in the new time out cycling in london guidebook and patrick has written the ride section of that book and there are a couple of other a couple of dozen other rides to choose from As well as that one. And the book is just £7 at the minute on Amazon, so it's a real steal. We'll be doing another ride in the new year sometime. And hopefully, you'll be joining us, Jen. You'll be well enough by then?
1: I hope so, yeah. I have been back on the bike once or twice, but uh, not for nearly as far as you guys went yesterday.
0: (laughs) Well, that's good to hear that you're on the road to recovery. If you live here in the UK, you'll have noticed that last Saturday night was Guy Fawkes' night the night of the year when people in this country like to fill the skies with fireworks, light great big bonfires, eat toffee apples and drink mulled wine. I don't think there's much wrong with toffee apples and mulled wine, in moderation of course, but it may come as a bit of a surprise to you as it did to me to know that Guy Fawkes Night is one of the biggest nights of the year for air pollution. And more than this, that air pollution is the Public health emergency that nobody seems to be talking about. Well, very few people. Last week I went along to meet Simon Burkett of the Campaign for Clean Air in London. We met outside on the Euston Road, one of the heaviest trafficked and most polluted parts of the city.
2: In December 1952, we had the Great Smog, and everyone could see that. You, you couldn't walk across the street, couldn't see the other side of the street. There were 4,075 early deaths then, and people were sadly able to count coffins. In 1952, we didn't know about the long-term impacts of air pollution, so we saw 4,075 deaths. We didn't know about the long-term impact of air pollution, and it was only from 1995-2000, as a result of very big US studies, that we found that the long-term impacts of air pollution exposure are much higher than those of short-term exposure.
0: Well, we'll hear more from Simon in a moment, but I also went along to meet Alan Andrews,
3: who works as an environmental lawyer for the organisation Client Earth. Well, I think air pollution is is one of these unfashionable, almost forgotten-about environmental issues. Um, It was very big in the environmental movement in the 70s and 80s, but I think with an increasing focus on climate change, it's largely been forgotten about typically people's perception is that air pollution certainly in the developed world is no longer an issue uh, but what we actually know now is that the health impacts of air pollution uh, in London and other big European cities is actually very serious uh, some estimate there are 350,000 premature deaths each year in the EU alone if you look at the London level a report by the mayor uh, from last year said that there were 4,300 premature deaths in London each year. So it's, it's a major health concern uh, and, and one that very few of the, of the big environmental groups are, are focused on at the moment. So could you tell us how air pollution affects health?
0: What is the mechanics of it? I know you're not a doctor, you're a lawyer, but um, give us an overview of what is
3: going on in our bodies. The main pollutant of concern is, is something called particulate matter shorthand. Um, We call it PM10 or PM2.5. And really these are microscopic airborne particles. Diesel vehicles are are particularly bad for this type of pollution. There's been various initiatives uh, to try and reduce the amount of of pollution coming from vehicles, but it's actually been quite difficult to achieve that with diesel. In a city like London, uh, taxis and heavy goods vehicles and commercial vans are spewing out a lot of these dangerous airborne particles. Um, We think they're harmful to our health because they're so small that when we breathe them in, they actually lodge in the tissue of the lungs or the really fine stuff can actually get into the bloodstream. And this causes a number of problems. It it, it induces uh, what's known as an inflammatory response. It also transports a lot of chemical nasties deep into parts of the body where they shouldn't be. So these particulates have quite toxic chemicals that that come out of the exhausts of diesel vehicles in particular. So is this new stuff that's coming out of these vehicles or is this
0: just stuff that's always been in the air but we've cleaned out everything else we've got rid of the big smogs of the 1950s the acid rain is not so much of a problem and this
3: is basically what's left or is this something new? I think it's always been there it's just the case that our Understanding of the health impacts has improved significantly over the last 10 years. And I think, whereas in the past, air pollution was a very visible problem, we had the, the, the Great London smog in 1952, the, the smog hazes you see in, in Los Angeles, that's very visible and people can see it. But the particular matter that we're, we're talking about and what we're worried about in, in cities like London is so tiny that it can't be detected by the, by the human eye. So it's really an invisible killer, which explains the I think, the lack of um, of public awareness around it. So Jen, everyone's worried about passive smoking,
0: about eating unhealthy food, about drinking more than they should. but it seems that all the while there's this real serious problem with the air that we're breathing.
1: It, it seems surprising doesn't it and the thing is you don't see he died of air pollution on on people's gravestones and you don't hear certainly I don't hear of many people being admitted to hospital with their friends and family saying they've gone in with air poisoning either. So I'm just curious how do the scientists know how many people are dying from these problems from air pollution?
0: Well that's a good question and it's something that I asked Simon Burkett to explain. What they've
2: done is follow cohorts of people, you know, a group, our age group, another age group, for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and look at those people in different cities. And what they've found is that people in the more polluted cities die earlier. And so, in fact, they're as certain about the risks that I'm describing as they are about the risks of smoking. Now, the previous government... Uh, Clean Air in London accused of one of the biggest public health failings or cover-ups by a government in modern history. And that was because they didn't publish this estimate of the number of people dying due to long-term exposure to pollution. That number's now out. It's 4,300 in London, it's 29,000 nationally, and it's probably 30 to 50,000 nationally when you add in all the other sort of um, air pollution effects. That compares with 87,000 for smoking, Twenty-two thousand for alcoholism, about ten thousand for obesity.
1: That's staggering, Jack. So Simon's saying that air quality is a bigger contributory factor than smoking, alcohol, and obesity.
0: Appears so. Um, I, I don't really understand the modelling. I mean, one thing he did mention, which isn't in the tape, there is that it's not just a problem for older people with um, cardiovascular complaints, um, but there's a strong link between air pollution and asthma. In children and the development of children's lungs in their early years. I don't really understand what the epidemiologists are doing there with their modelling. I kind of understand it's some sort of um, regression comparing one set of people with another. Um, But it does seem that there is a fairly clear scientific consensus that it is a big problem. And this being the bike show, what I'm especially concerned about is how cyclists are being affected. Um, with the source of most of the harmful pollution um, in the air being motor vehicles, in particular those with diesel engines. Jen, are we being affected more than other people because we're out there in the middle of busy roads, completely unprotected from the exhaust fumes and breathing it all in? You've been looking into this, right? I have
1: been, yeah. Look, there's so much conflicting research out there, Um, and when you do go through the research, it looks at so many different types of actual pollution from nitrous oxide to these particulates to plain old black soot. Um, but I suppose uh, for the purposes of our um, modest half-an-hour show, we'll, I'll, we'll just talk about pollution as a whole. There was a study led by uh, Professor Jonathan Grigg that was published just last month, actually, and it was conducted at Queen Mary University of London, so right in the heart of East London, and it compared the lungs of five cyclists and five pedestrians, all aged between eighteen and forty, and found that those that cycled had more pollution in their lungs than those, than those that walked. Right. So, so, you know, a really recent study that is quite alarming, um, yeah. right in the centre of London in zones one and two. Um,
0: did they have to kill them to get their lungs?
1: <laughs> I don't think they did. They didn't say anything about the ethics in the uh, in the article I read, though. So, <laughs> perhaps don't ask, don't tell with that one. Um, The researchers of this project, though, suggested that there are several reasons for these results. And basically, cyclists have what's called a higher minute ventilation, which basically means that we breathe in and out a lot more often and a lot more heavily than a pedestrian would. So we're getting more of everything into our lungs, I suppose, the bad and the good, um, I guess you might say. Um, The researchers also suggest that cyclists may be at a higher risk than pedestrians because we're right in the traffic so we're sitting behind the cars
0: we're sucking on that exhaust pipe we
1: literally are you know when you pull up behind a double decker bus and it is and it's warming your face and and you just seem to not be able to get away from it so there's there's another reason there um the good thing though with this research is that mr Grigg and his team have been commissioned to complete a much larger study looking at the health risks of cycling in large traffic heavy cities like london so this won't be concluded for some time but while there's lots of conflicting research out there there isn't a great mass of research so it's good that there's something that's London specific that's being commissioned. Um, I also found a study that was in complete contrast to this London study which was fascinating and it was done by the University of Utrecht uh, in the Netherlands and they found that On average, the health benefits of cycling were substantially larger than the risks relative to driving. This was not pedestrians. The study was looking at both pollution and accidents, but in fact, they found this to be the case for both categories. So uh, much safer um, when you're in the Netherlands. other studies I came across suggested that the increase in pollution in cyclist lungs was apparent, but that after six hours, their lungs and bloodstream were back to the levels of motorists, pedestrians and those that used public transport. So you, what you kind it of see... It would have come and here, gone
0: and they'll have got the health benefits of a bit of a workout. Well,
1: indeed, yeah. Um, But really, it's hard to get one solid answer. Nearly all the studies that looked at the environmental and social factors of cycling absolutely sung of the immense benefits of having a population denser with cycle traffic and with a reduction in car traffic, which I think is, you know, no surprise. But it's good to read it there in, in the evidence. But it
0: is interesting that it's something that we don't really think about. When we think about HGVs running people over, we don't think about air pollution.
1: No, absolutely. Um, there were an unsurprising... Um, sorry, there were general consensus from academics and punters alike um, that the reduction in motor vehicle traffic in urban cities would have an o- overwhelming positive impact on environment. Um but also, most people that I spoke to over the weekend—I, I, you know, I, I serve inform, informally surveyed some cyclists. You chatted to
0: your mates, didn't you? Jennifer? I did. Confess. Well,
1: all of my mates are cyclists, so that's a cycling survey as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but basically, um, you know, most people cited the dangers of cycling in London as being bendy buses and lorries and when put to them this idea of pollution you know most hadn't thought of it and most then once once thinking about it wholeheartedly agreed that pollution's a massive problem.
0: Well it must be the case that some cyclists are thinking about it because you do occasionally see cyclists riding around with masks on. You used to see a few more of them I think in the 1990s. I even tried one once um, out of curiosity but you've been looking into the health benefits if there are any um, of Riding with a mask? What did you find out?
1: Well, absolutely. I thought, well, we're living in the most polluted city in Europe and we won't stop riding. So, you know, possibly one of our only options at the moment is a gas mask. So I had a look at the market for anti pollution cycling masks and they really are a dime a dozen. And they all espouse their unique benefits and, of course, all say that they're the one that will keep those nasties out of our lungs and our bloodstreams. But I, I, I wonder do they really? Um, The last detailed product test I could find was done by which health magazine, the health section of which magazine. And it was back in 1998, actually. Um, And it found that the cost of a mask was in no way an indicator for whether it was effective or not, which is unsurprising to most of us. Um, But good news also for the budget conscious cyclists. It did suggest, however, that most of the masks they tested met the European standard for test particles. And they generally did the best in their tests. Um, But this doesn't really tell us anything that other than their tests may have been the same as the European ones. Um, a Beijing study completed in 98 suggested that they do do the trick and they, they kept particles out of pedestrians' lungs. Um, but I couldn't find a great deal out there with all of my researching that suggested that masks actually kept I mean, anything out of You have to keep, keep it
0: quite tight around to stop it getting in through the sides wouldn't you yeah. and then it would be quite hard to breathe through if it was really filtering out these m- nano particles that they're talking about
1: absolutely jack um, on a lot of the cycling blogs and cycling forums people were saying that they've got them and when they get up to speed they can't breathe through them and then breathe their breath does in fact go in and out the sides which then kind of defeats the purpose of having it there and, except to keep your face warm i suppose
0: well great research thanks jen um, i asked simon burkett of the campaign for clean air in london what he thought of cyclists and the risks from air pollution.
2: Cyclists are uh, one of the biggest single parts of the solution to this problem. We need fewer and cleaner vehicles, particularly in the most polluted parts of London. So cyclists, really, we ought to be doing everything we can as a city and a country to encourage and support cyclists. The issue for cyclists is that um, if you're um, cycling along the very busy roads, you will be breathing more rapidly, Um, than somebody who I guess is sitting in a car or a bus or or even walking along. What Clean Air in London would encourage cyclists to do, and walkers, is wherever possible, go along the quieter streets, away from the very busy roads, um, and uh, there are um, route planners um, that Transport for London has and so on, which show you how you can take the less busy, less polluted route. And I think that's really what we all ought to be doing, because the, the answer to this... We need to warn people about the dangers of, of air pollution. We need to give them advice about how they can protect themselves and reduce the problem for themselves and others. And protecting yourself is really you know, going along those side streets um, rather than the very busy roads. But cyclists, I would emphasise, uh, one of the most important solutions to this problem.
0: Well, I asked Alan Andrews of Client Earth what he thought it was that the government should
3: be doing. It needs to focus on... The biggest polluters to get the biggest bang for its buck in terms of investment so it needs to be looking at the bus fleets um vans hgvs uh, taxis uh, and applying pollution retrofit abatement equipment to reduce pollution from those vehicles we really need to speed up electrification at at the moment the the focus is largely on driving electrification of private cars but really as a proportion of, of pollution private cars aren't as big a problem uh, as, as some of the other vehicles we've talked about so I think it would be better to invest what money we do have on driving electrification of, of buses and vans rather than on private cars I and mean, the, the problem is the person who, who would normally buy a, an electric car probably already drives quite a modern clean vehicle anyway So you're not getting that much of an air pollution benefit from from getting them to switch to an electric car. It'd be much better to focus on on the big public vehicle fleets, which are the the biggest polluters. So let's turn to London. London seems to have the worst problem in the UK, is that right? Certainly London, as, as the biggest city in the UK, has the worst air pollution in the UK. And is the mayor doing anything about it? The mayor um, published his air quality strategy last year, um, and it's, it's a cure-its-egg in, in some ways. There, there are some good measures in there. We have the, the, the next phase of the low-emission zone coming into force in January 2012, but that itself was, was a backward step. The mayor had already postponed that, um, that measure by, by 18 months, and then presented it as a a new policy that that he'd brought in. Um, So in many ways, it's it's quite misleading. And there's a a big reliance on these sort of short-term local fixes. Uh, For example, um, they're they're now applying chemical dust suppressants um, to our roads in an attempt to to glue the the pollution to the road. Um, They're also trialling something called green walls, where they're essentially planting... um, trees and plants and shrubs at the roadside uh, to try and prevent the pollution getting to the the, the people on the pavement who'd, who'd breathe it in. These measures are experimental. We don't know whether they're going to be that effective. And I think they're also um, designed to make sure we comply with the law to make sure that air pollution is, is below legal limits where it's being measured. But that's quite a cynical approach, I think. We need to be looking at measures which reduce overall exposure to harmful air pollution well back in
0: 1999 the uk government signed up to some europe-wide targets on reducing air pollution but in london these have been missed every year since they came into force in 2005. simon burkett of the campaign for clean air in london thinks that both the national government and the local government are not being serious about meeting these standards
2: These standards have been in legislation since 1999, Um, They were put in place, they were agreed by all the member states in Europe and put in UK law. They had to be achieved for the dangerous particles, the soots and the dusts, by 2005. For the gases, those had to be complied with by January 2010. In a busy road uh, like Euston Road, here near King's Cross we're probably breaching that legal standard for nitrogen dioxide, the gas component, by a factor of two, maybe even three, over twice, three times perhaps, World Health Organisation guideline levels and legal limits. And those standards, yes, they're in EU law, but they're also in UK law. This is not something that is just um, uh, Brussels sort of imposing something ridiculous on us. These were put in place to protect public health well over ten years ago. But the government recently, last month, said it couldn't comply, or frankly probably wouldn't comply, until 2025 in London. 40 out of 43 zones around the UK are breaching this standard. Um, 17 won't comply by 2015. uh, And London, they, they say, won't comply until 2025. That is an absolute scandal. There is no other public health measure which is being breached
0: by this huge margin.
1: So what's going to happen if the government fails to meet these standards, Jack?
0: Well, there are some pretty hefty fines from Brussels, and according to Simon Burkett, our mayor, Boris Johnson, is rather more concerned about avoiding the fines than about reducing the pollution and uh, helping improve public health.
2: We need to target the most polluting vehicles and keep them out of the most polluted parts of London. The mayor's approach of this uh, low-emission zone... Uh, at the M25, um, cranking up uh, in January next year. It's important, but just to put that in context, Berlin has a scheme which has been in place for nearly two years, which is at least two steps tighter than the scheme that the mayor and the government will have in place in London from January next year. Now, that is totally unacceptable. We really need to be much more ambitious, like the Germans who've got
0: these schemes in something like 40 cities. So you'd like to see some of these lorries that we're seeing going past taken off the roads and and being told you cannot come into London? You don't need to take vehicles off the road. You can actually
2: fit abatement devices to them. I mean, let me give you an example with the buses. The mayor is hung up about buying these new um, uh, route masters or hybrid buses, which cost about £200,000 each. Well, you're not going to be buying many buses for that price. For £5,000 a bus, you can be reducing some of the oxides of nitrogen, for example, and the particles by 80%. So why not clean up 40 buses for £5,000 a pop rather than buying one of these shiny new buses? It's a scandal that the mayor is applying dust suppressants. I think it's a de-icer or something, but he's applying dust suppressants along relatively short stretches of road in front of the official monitoring stations. So the only way that we know what the pollution levels are in London is to look at these monitoring stations. He's he's looking for legal loopholes to avoid paying these big fines.
0: So hang on a minute. There are monitoring stations around London that monitor the level of air pollution. And it's these readings which determine whether the... London government is meeting its legal obligations, but you're saying that he's basically going around and cleaning up the air or just de-dusting the area around these monitoring stations to kind of give false readings. Isn't that fraud? It's absolutely scandalous.
2: It's absolutely scandalous. In my view, it is fraudulent. In Marlebone Road, not very far from where we are here near King's Cross, There is a very large monitoring station, and that's the one for reporting the main official breaches for London as a whole uh, to the European Commission, who are the sort of policemen on this. The mayor has admitted that he's applying these dust suppressants along um, Marlebone Road and along Upper Thames Street, in the near side lane, next to these official monitors, which are the only way that you and I... Know what pollution levels are on these busy roads, and the Marlaban Road one is the one that gets reported to Brussels, and it's an absolute scandal. So,
1: is there anything that can actually be done about this?
0: Well, both Alan and Simon said that it was pretty straightforward. It would cost money, but they knew how to do it. It's essentially about retrofitting a lot of these vehicles with filters, and it's quite interesting that the cost of one of the new Boris Johnson route masters, which is about two hundred thousand, would pay for retrofitting 40 existing buses to make them cleaner and less dangerous. Um, so it's very interesting that that, that that route is not being taken and Alan Andrews and his organisation Client Earth are effectively suing the government for its failures to meet its targets um, which are legally binding. I asked Alan to explain what that actually
3: meant. First I should explain when we say we're suing the government it's not like a you know, claim for damages if, if you fell over and tripped and, and it was somebody else's fault. We're asking for judicial review, so we're asking the High Court to review the government's actions to see whether or not they were legal. What we're asking the Court to do is strike down these air quality plans, quash them, and publish new air quality plans which will achieve compliance with these legal limits by 2015. Is this a new thing, Um, this kind of legal approach to environmental activism? We see litigation and going to court as very much the the last resort. It's time-consuming, it's expensive for us, and so we'll only do that where we think all other avenues for for bringing change have have been exhausted. But this um, legal approach to to environmentalism I think has its origins in in the US, where there's a a much bigger movement of, of... legal environmental justice and, and fighting for environmental rights in the courts. Um, for various historic reasons, we, we don't quite have that same culture over here in the UK, but what Client Earth is, is bringing here is, a, is, a, is a new approach, um, focusing on, on environmental law, enforcing environmental laws in the courts, and making sure the environmental laws we, we do have are actually effective and, and, and work properly to, to protect human health and, and protect our environment. Well, the case comes to the High Court in December and you can follow the issue by
0: looking at the Twitter feed of Clean Air London or via various websites and I'll put links to those on the Bike Show's webpage at www. TheBikeShow.net. Are you breathing easily, Jen?
1: I'm a little bit worried. I wish I had a mask for my ride home. Actually, (laughs) even though they don't work.
0: Oh my god! We've completely (laughs) thrown um, into confusion. Next up on Resonance 104.4 FM, it is One Life Left from me, Jack Thurston,
1: and me, Jen Kerrison. Goodbye.
4: London traffic going nowhere, London traffic polluting the air, travelling under Billy Park, don't really want to be found. so many cars through the streets, wonder why we've found it all, London traffic is a no problem, London traffic, two new cars, but my system's living in heat, colour-sized diameter streets, London traffic No one seems to care. Take a look at our city. Take a traffic elsewhere. Leave the city, bring our traffic. Give the place a chance to the Turnerfield, cover London. Give the chance to bring again. London traffic, still in confusion. London traffic, blocking the streets. London traffic, going nowhere. London traffic, polluting. out. Duncan Chavez Duncan Chavez Duncan Chavez